What's your name? Tim Dillard. What's your occupation? Right-handed pitcher. How many years have you played professional baseball? 16. How many major league organizations have employed you? One. What's your guess for how many videos you have posted on social media? <laughs> 500 plus. Coming up on this edition of Life Around the Seams, our guest is Tim Dillard. According to his Twitter bio, he's a Christian, husband, father, occasional baseball player. My impression from a distance, and we'll find out if I'm correct, is that his primary job is to pitch wherever the Milwaukee Brewers decide he will pitch whenever they decide that he will pitch. But his unofficial job is to be the type of co-worker that you probably wish that you had at your job. He's a guy who's going to make people laugh and have fun and make work feel like, well, it's not work. Yet behind the laughs and videos and social media fun, it's still baseball. Yes, it's a game, but it's also a billion-dollar industry where if you don't perform, you are done. This is... Life Around the Seams. Former Major League pitcher Jim Bouton once wrote, You spend a good piece of your life gripping a baseball, and in the end, it turns out, it was the other way around all the time. Welcome to Life Around the Seams, a podcast about baseball people who have interesting stories from between the lines, and sometimes even more interesting stories outside the lines. Here's your host, Josh Sushan. All right, Tim. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, so we have a mutual friend, Kobe Ginsberg. I went to college with him. You know him from Nashville, and sure. so he's the, um, I guess he's the co-executive producer of this podcast. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. So you didn't tell me that. Kobe G, you get uh, a little bit of credit. Okay, so for the people who listen to these on a regular basis, I normally go kind of chronological order, but I don't want all these to sound the same. So I want to give the background about Tim. Drafted by the Brewers in the... 15th round in 2001, did not sign. Drafted again by the Brewers the following year in the 34th round after one year of junior college ball, and this time he did sign. And after that, a remarkable streak of loyalty by you and the team. Again, you had never played for another major league organization. 16 years, parts of four years in the major leagues, 73 appearances in the majors, 12 years in the Pacific Coast League. Eight with Nashville, four with Colorado Springs, and two very brief appearances with the independent Lancaster Barnstormers. So what is it about you and the Brewers that have made sense for so long? I don't know. Got no clue. Um, you know, they say death, taxes, and I'm with the Brewers. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> no, I, I honestly don't know. My wife and I, uh, for the last maybe like five years, have actually tried to see what is next. All right. If baseball is over, what's next? And everything usually falls through, and it ends up me being with the Brewers. So, it, yeah, it's, 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 I don't know. It's inexplainable. When you were drafted, I'm pretty sure that was just before the current Brewers owner took over. So it's basically two ownerships. It's basically two general managers. So it hasn't been a huge change. But there's yeah. been different field managers and farm directors. And usually at some point, you get designated for assignments. You, someone picks you up on waivers. You get traded. You get released. You get sold. You, and, and, and somehow you keep ending up with the Brewers. Well, I, I, you know, looking back, there was times when I was, I don't know if I was ever a prospect, but, you know, I was good for a little while, I feel like, when I was young. <laughs> and, you know, you get designated and you think, all right, well, okay, somebody's going to pick me up. And I, I remember thinking the first time it happened, I was like, you know, it's going to be the Cardinals. I was like, my dad had coached for the Cardinals. I was like, every time we were in Memphis, I did really well against them. You know, I, I, I know some of the coaching staff. I'm like, they... They know as far as a character way, you know, like maybe that would coincide with how they do things. And then I thought the Royals, man, I used to deal against Omaha. I was like, I know a lot of the coaches over there, I've played against them for years. You know, I know a lot of the players. I'm like, surely they're going to pick me up. No one ever picked me up. Nobody ever wanted me, you know. And every offseason, if I don't sign back with the Brewers or if they don't, you know, offer anything, I go to free agency and I, I call all these teams. I know somebody in at least every organization that I contact and, you know, there's a lot of good stuff. Hey, we like you. We just want a place for you. You know, uh, you know, we, we're going young right now. <laughs> the, the best one I ever got was from the Dodgers. They were like, man, this was after the, I don't know, 2016 season maybe. And they were like, you had one of the best seasons of your career in a lot of ways statistically. And, uh, you know, said all these nice things like, man, your strikeouts were up. Your walks were down. Velo was up. 
you know, all this stuff. They're like, wow, that just very impressive. And I was like, so? I was like, you're going to sign me? Where's my contract? Yeah, they're like, no, nah, man, you're too old. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. You know, you draw up your path when you get into pro ball and you, you have this way of thinking like, yeah, I'm going to play 10 years in the show and, and that's just how life's going to be. And that's what I thought. And, you know, I, I, it's hard to measure success in the minor leagues, but I mean, I'm still around and I've been to a lot of places I wouldn't experience and I've met a lot of people and I don't know, I'd be a different person if I was had 10 years in the show, probably. Let me go back to something I said at the start of this. Has anyone ever told you, or have you ever been implied, or have you ever thought, yes, my job is to pitch, but my job is also to be some type of therapy dog as a ball player, where this league and this level can grind you down, and it's sort of my unofficial job to make sure that people are having fun and they're making the best of what can be a mentally grinding situation. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I, I don't want to classify it as a coach, but yeah, mental skills type. <laughs> you know, let me hold your hand. Let's do this together. Um, it, it, you know, if you have a coach that tells you something, a lot of times younger guys aren't responsive to it just because like, oh, what do you know? You know, and so it, I feel like the things that I tell guys in the bullpen or in the clubhouse probably holds a little more weight because I'm still doing it. And I've gone through it recently. And this is a hard life, you know, and everyone only sees what goes on in the big leagues, but there's a lot of grind that goes on in the minor leagues. It's hard to say a big leaguer grinds because at the end of the day, you're, you're in the big leagues. But in the minor leagues, you know, they, they got away from getting older guys to kind of mentor in that way. Uh, there was a spot from probably 2008 to maybe 2012 where they weren't signing a lot of older free agents. And some of those guys are out of the game now just because of the way things turned. Everybody went younger. But they found out that guys were coming to AAA that didn't know how to play baseball. Then they were going to the big leagues, and the talent was there, but they didn't know how to deal with failure because they've never failed. So one of the things I think the Brewers keep bringing me back for is I'm going to be a positive influence in the clubhouse because, I mean, it's easy to just give up. It sounds crazy, but... I mean, especially at this elevation. Yeah. <laughs> Albuquerque's not much better, but, you know, some of the places in this league, to me, this is the hardest league in baseball. I've been to a lot of leagues, and this one's just difficult because of the travel. Uh, it's difficult because of the places that you play, especially for pitchers. And sometimes you just need someone to understand and listen, and you don't want to make it a big deal. So, hey, if I'm sitting over there, I got this beard. It makes me look wise, and uh, people <laughs> share things with me. So I try to help out in any way I can. So you still live in Nashville in the off season, right? Yeah. So that made it very convenient that you lived in Nashville, your family is there, and you spent so many summers in Nashville. But then, you know, we had this huge change in the PCL after the 2014 season, and that's why the Rockies went from Colorado Springs to Albuquerque, and the Brewers were in Nashville for the longest time, and then they basically get stuck with Colorado Springs. They were the last two people who were left. You know how difficult it is to pitch here. You know how cold it is in April. You know how much it rains in July, as we've seen the last two days before we record this podcast. Was that still difficult to decide, okay, I'm still going to stick with the breweries, even though I know I might have to end up in Colorado Springs? Yeah, the right when there was a change, I got called from the assistant GM, Gord Ash at the time. He goes, hey, we're, we're wanting to sign you back. They're like, but it looks like we're not going to be in Nashville. And so... You know, I, I thought, well, I've been living the minor league dream as best you can, living where you play. That's very rare for a lot of these guys. And I talked about it with my wife, and she was like, all right, I mean, we don't know where the possibility is. And I was holding my breath, like, please, Oklahoma City. Or, <laughs> or maybe there was a discrepancy, and somehow we end up in Memphis, or I don't know. You know maybe just, the A's want to sign me since they <laughs> yeah, ended up maybe, in Nashville. <laughs> yeah, so you, you, you throw all these things out there. But I knew it was basically down to Fresno and Colorado Springs. And they actually asked me throughout the 2014 season, hey – What's your opinion of different places? And I got no beef with Fresno, but it's tough being in California. It's tough on travel and things like that. I was like, you know, I've been to Colorado Springs. I've, I, I know I'm aware of what goes on. It is going to be a challenge. But in my opinion, I was like, hey, if you have a guy that can come through Colorado Springs unscathed, you know, go out there and put up decent numbers here, they're ready for the big leagues. I was like, you want to know, you, you don't even need a scout. <laughs> this guy has yeah. a good ERA and playing in this league, that's actually really amazing. But your home field being at 6,000 elevation – then, yeah, that's a, to me, that's extra incentive. That's like, this guy's toughened out some of the hardest things you can overcome. Big Leagues is going to be probably a little easier. All right, so I want to talk to you about some of the fun that you have before games and after games and around towns. But before we talk about the most recent fun, you started your Pearl career in 2003. That was a complex team. 2004, you're at Beloit. This is before we have iPhones. It's before we can make videos. Sure. What did you do before and after games to entertain yourself and your teammates back in way, way back in 2004? <laughs> I don't know. I ate a lot back then. I was about 45 pounds heavier than I am now. <laughs> uh, no, I played cards, played cribbage. 
uh, in the clubhouse, um, you know, pulled pranks on guys. I feel like pranks are kind of gone down a little bit, which is fine. I mean, I know hazing's not that great or well-received anymore. So, I don't know. We just – we had a good time. We, we were family. You know, you weren't connected to, to you know, outside of, of what you were on a bus in a clubhouse. That was us. That was your family. Um, I had phone cards okay. <laughs> when, when, right. at this yes. time so I could call my parents. I had nobody to call. So I was I was on an island is what I felt like, and all I was with was these guys that I was with. And so that's probably one of the times when I learned, like, it's about the team, you know, and seeing the integration of, of cell phones and computers and all that, you know, it, you still have to come back to, hey, it's us. It's us against everybody else. It's us against the odds of making it to the big leagues. It's us against, you know, everything that goes on in the travel and, and the grind of a season. So, I don't know. That's probably where I learned to what it means to dive into teammates and get to know them. And because you were forced to do that. <laughs> <laughs> when did it occur to you that this fun that I'm having with my teammates and getting to know them, that we can create some content and we'll be comfortable sharing it with the world. Sure. Uh, in 2015 was our first year here in Colorado Springs, and we had a left-handed pitcher, Brent Leach. He pitched for the Dodgers. I remember him. Yeah. Brent Leach, yeah. So, um, yeah, he was – he. we were goof, goofing off one day. I was making these videos of guys, like, giving them hard questions to answer in, like, 30 seconds, just, just to goof off. I don't know. I like to make videos, and the phones had come around where I could actually do some editing. And uh, – he goes, man, you should get the Dub Smash app. I was like, I don't even know what that is. So, I mean, I don't, I'm not really phone tech at this time. I'm not really savvy. So we, we, he shows it to me, and it's basically the audio of like a video or a song or a commercial, and then you get to act it out and mouth the words. And to me, this is right up my alley. When I grew up, I got two older brothers, and we didn't want to buy anybody presents over Christmas, <laughs> like my grandparents. So we made videos. We like sang Elvis songs or, you know, did skits and that was what we did. We dressed up, and it was a really fun thing to do. And so, I don't know. I feel like I've been preparing for this kind of, <laughs> this kind of stuff my entire life. It's just easier now. I don't have that 40-pound VHS camera, you know, to have to push. Yeah, so how did, you, how did you edit? Was there editing when you're 10 years old or whatever, and you're making these Christmas videos? Yeah, uh, very, very hard. You know, you got the VHS and you're the pressing VC, pause the and record. Yeah, my brother was a whiz, and so he kind of took over for that. But, I mean, I was a, as a kid, I did stop-motion animation with my Star Wars toys. You know, I'd put sticky tack on the bottom of their shoes, and I'd have this giant camera zoom zoomed in and I'd be like beep beep you know I'd take a half second of footage and I'd spend like four or five hours a day you know I didn't have a lot of friends no <laughs> <laughs> no I I uh you know when I had time I was goofing off I just like to be creative and and I would spend hours and I'd have like 14 seconds of footage where Han Solo would be walking and I just thought this is amazing <laughs> right? you know it's terrible it's terrible <laughs> so now with the current technology, yeah. the what are uh, is it still just primarily your phone that you're using, or what yeah. other what other technological devices creates this content? Um, what's interesting, we did a Hyundai commercial. Is that how you say it? Hyundai? Hyundai? Yeah. yeah. So they, we did a commercial for them, kind of goofing off last year, towards the beginning of the year, and uh, so they they sent me like a care package, had like a I don't know a bunch of backpacks in it and stuff, and so I was passing it around to the team, and then they sent me a box of this something. I open it up, and it's a camera mount, like a steady cam. Oh yeah. Weighs about three pounds, and so we've used that, and I thought that was kind of cool. Things like sixty bucks, they sent it to me free. But I usually use that and like a little tripod that you would carry like on a plane or something. Sometimes you just got to set up a camera, and uh, I don't know. It's very simple. Like we don't do a lot of um, I don't know, just fanciness. I think if we were to bring in like a production crew and try to make one of these videos, it would lose the luster of basically picking up a phone and filming for two minutes, um, which is usually what it takes. Uh, I plan a little bit, but. I don't know. It's just a spur-of-the-moment thing. I'll walk into Rick Sweet, the manager's office, and I'll be like, hey, sweetie, can I just get you to look up from your desk and look up to the ceiling? He's like, okay. I mean, he's like <laughs> filling out the lineup. And so he just kind of looks up, looks up at the ceiling. I'm like, perfect, you know, film it. <laughs> I just edit into the films. I don't know. It, I don't want to be intrusive, and, but, you know, there's some teams or some guys that really want to get into it, and some of them are superstitious. They're like, hey, man, such and such was in a video. He got called up. I'm doing two videos today. What are we doing? So I'm like, great. I need actors. <laughs> so I was uh, I spent a long time in researching here um, <laughs> laughing and um, so my favorite one I think was the all of me video where the umpire where the umpire calls a third strike on on a batter and then they <laughs> sing out all of me uh, now, that might be my favorite 
who are some of the best actors and uh, who you've worked with as teammates here lately? Ooh, um, this year, we had Brett Phillips. He just got traded over to the Royals, and he was always willing. You know, he'd be, like, working out in the gym, be like, hey, Philly, I need you. Yeah, okay. And he just – so, to me, willingness is huge. <laughs> um, as far as good acting, like, we had Kyle Wren, which I think he's with Pawtucket now in AAA, but we had Wren here, Kyle Wren, for the last three or four years, and he was always willing to do stuff. Nate Orff just came down from the big leagues. Um, he, he's always willing to do stuff. And surprise is Aaron Wilkerson. He's one of our pitchers, been yeah. up and down the big leagues. But every time he's in a video, he gets called up three times. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, in years past, we had Jay Chapman, a pitcher. He's with the Cubs. And uh, I think this last season he was with the Round Rock Express. Um, anyway, he was one of the guys that literally came to my locker every day and was like, what are we filming? And he, if you look back at that season, man, he was, <laughs> he was in like every video in some form or fashion. So it's good. You know, not everybody's cut out for it, but there's some guys out there that got a future. The other one that I really liked was California Dreamin'. Uh, you basically went around Old Sacramento, which yeah. is one of my favorite places because in our league, it's such a great setup. It's a Holiday Inn, and it's right next to where the Kings Arena is, and then you walk underneath the freeway, and you walk through Old Town, and then you walk across this bridge, and the ballpark's there. But yeah. There's all kinds of neat stuff in Old Town. And take us behind the scenes of how you put together the California Dreaming. Yeah, well, one, one of the things I like to do is I walk around everywhere. Everywhere we're at, I, don't, I mean, I've, I walk an hour to the field sometimes, um, usually around 30 minutes depending on, on where we're at. But I like to explore the cities. But I've been, like you said, I've been here for 12 years in this, <laughs> in this league, so I've seen every city. But, I mean, even in El Paso, I'd walk to the field. You know, you just – the, the idea of getting involved in the city and what goes on. And so Sacramento is an easy one. There's so much there. And so basically I just walked around. I'd set a camera up and pretend like I'm walking in a building. Goes, and I'd go to museums and I went to the train museum and um, actually got to watch a train being unloaded and unloaded. Like uh, they picked up a cart on this. I don't even know what it's called, but I, I just got to witness a lot of cool stuff. And I don't know, I just edited it together and I don't really expect anybody to really care, but if you've ever been to Sacramento or Old Sac, you know, you may use this as a travel guide. So, <laughs> What would be, if there was a Mount Rushmore of the best four videos, whether they sing along or whether they're the questions that you've asked of teammates, what's going to be on the Mount Rushmore of your four most proudest videos? <laughs> I don't know, man. There's a lot of good ones. Uh, last year, we'd, uh, <laughs> we were in spring training and we did... Uh, I don't even know the name of the song. I think it's Chainsmokers. I need you right now. And so it was a catcher and a pitcher um, on the field. And, like, you can tell they're struggling, you know. And so they're like, I need you right now. And the catcher's saying that, but, you know, don't let me down. You know, right. they're kind of singing to each other. And then uh, the song kicks up. And he's like, don't let me. And it's like, wow, wow, wow. You know, and so they're, like, slow motion dancing. And, you, and <laughs> I'm not proud of this. I'm not proud of this. I'll say this. I'm not proud of this. But I stole umpiring gear from real umpires. Okay. And uh, dressed up one of our catchers. And so he's standing there like the umpire watching like all these shortstop came in, second base. So there's like four guys dancing on the mound, like doing this dancing mound visit. And then it cuts to the umpire dancing, like breaking it down, you know. I got in trouble for that. <laughs> so I don't use real umpire's gear anymore for my videos. But, yeah, they, um, that that's a really good one. That one's fun to watch every time. Because for me, a lot of the ones that maybe aren't the most popular are the most fun for me because I remember everything it took to make those, you know, the behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And so uh, just today we were talking about uh, semi-pro. And we did one last year in New Orleans where we're kind of huddled around and we went to the hallway in New Orleans where it's kind of like you don't really know where you're at. It looks like a high school gym. Mm -hmm. And so we did the huddle where he's talking about corn dogs. He's like, corn dogs, Jackie. Okay, that took like eight takes. <laughs> and it was one take long. So like if we messed up, we start over from the beginning. And there was like four or five guys that had different uh, things lines in the in the film or in the <laughs> my short film yeah and it was a film it was a film yeah there were films of me so you know we're going through there and so everybody has their own part and so everybody's I mean it, it was fun at the beginning but at the end everybody's like really trying hard and so we finally nailed it and I mean guys were just like high fiving and hugging and so I put it together and everyone's so anxious you done yeah you done so I put it together and and tweeted it and only got like six thousand views but it was amazing like the the Seeing that small team of, like, eight guys come together and to, to make this, like, to me, it's really fun. It's really fun. Okay, so with all of this fun in, in these videos, how, how do those – this is kind of, kind of an obvious question, but hopefully you can give a, 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 an answer that's beyond the obvious. Mm. How do those bond a team – when you are, oh, you know, it's a two-hour rain delay. Oh, we had another 3 a.m. wake-up call. How, how does that impact what's happening on the field and your chances to get to the major leagues? Or is this just something to cure boredom? You know, I, well, I'll say this. In my household, bored 
Bored's a bad word. You don't say bored. My kids aren't allowed to come up to me and go, Dad, I'm bored. Can't be bored. I've never been, I don't know if I've ever been bored in my life. Um, People talk about retirement and stuff like, what would you do? You know, I got a thousand things I would do. I really do. I have stuff written down. Um, And so my personality is, I don't really, you know, it doesn't matter if it's 3 a.m. or, you know, midnight or we've been in the clubhouse for four hours with a rain delay that we've been in the past. Um, You just have to have the right attitude. And there's enough negativity in the minor leagues, you know, with guys that maybe aren't at the best place, you know, statistically or maybe physically or whatever's going on. So me personally, I try to have a consistent theme and attitude when I come in. So if I walk in and there's a, you know, a rain delay, they know something's about to happen usually. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, you know, if I have an idea, I'm really pushing for it. Like, hey, stop playing cards. I need you, you know. And you just want to have stuff going on. I, I brought up one of my friends is um, Ben Zobers with the Cubs. And he had Joe Madden also with the Rays for several years. And I just asked him one day, we were hanging out. I said, does Joe Madden just do all this weird stuff? You know, that you read about in the news. I was like, does he do this just as like a distraction and like an interesting thing? And he was like, absolutely. He goes, we come to the field every day going, there's something going on. Like, and this is the manager, so they have to like respond to it, you know? Right. It's not like just some washed up sidearm <laughs> pitcher in the locker <laughs> down the way that's making stuff. So like, you know, there's stuff going on because it makes you excited to come to the field because if you know this, every day you come to the field, it just gets monotonous. It's the exact same thing. And it's probably like that in every job, but in baseball, like, you're there for a long period of time. You see the same people every day, and sometimes people are going up and down, and you're meeting new people. It's just like you, it's a lot of attention. So let's just turn our brains off and shoot some videos. <laughs> At any point, have the Brewers ever said to you, keep doing this or eh, don't do as many? Or have they, you know, what's been the impact of the major league team on these? Sure. So when this started going down, I, I was really careful, and I talked to a lot of people uh, up the ladder. And, and was making sure, like, listen, this is this is new. No, As far as I know, nobody's really doing this in any kind of clubhouse capacity. And I was like, I'm not tr- trying to show the training room. I'm not trying to show things that I don't need to be showing. Mm-hmm. Um, but And I don't want to be negative either. I told him that. I said, I'm not going to shoot stuff to make it look like we're miserable or anything like that. I'm not going to reveal anything in that way. This is all for fun. This is all because we're showing what goes on there. And I, I think there's a curtain that's never been, you know, pulled back, uh, especially in the minor league clubhouse. So... And, and the response I got was, we're just waiting on your next video. <laughs> but, but honestly, I think it's a trust issue. I, like you said earlier, like this is, I've been off and on with them, with ties to them since 2001. So I, I think there's a level of trust there. I think they know that I'm not going to make anybody look bad and that it is just for fun and we're allowed to have fun in this game. All right, I'm going to go way, I'm going to move way back in time. Not way back in time. Da, da, but da, da. Um, so your father played professional baseball yeah. for a long time. Love you, Dad. Eight years in the major leagues as an infielder, Red Sox, Tigers, Cubs, White Sox. Mm-hmm. Your dad's final year as a player was 1982, and you're born in 1983. Yep. Your dad was a minor league manager, instructor through the 80s and the 90s. Let me start with this. When was the first time that you realized that baseball cards were a thing and my dad was on one of them? <laughs> I don't know. I, I was probably five or six, and uh, I remember I had a whole bunch of cards and I'm looking through there and I'm like, man, I got a bunch of cards in my dad. This is amazing. Uh, turns out it was Mike Schmidt. Uh, <laughs> uh, similar mustache, similar look, you know, and I was like, dad played for the Phillies, you know? So I, I don't know. I, it, was, it was probably, I, I was probably eight or nine before I realized that, wait, not everyone's dad is, you know, played major league baseball, played in the minor leagues, coached in the minor leagues. Like that's not a, wait, that's unique. Um, but all I knew growing up was a clubhouse. That's all I ever knew was baseball. And luckily I was good enough <laughs> at the right times where I could do this job. But I don't know. It was I, first time I saw his baseball card. I have no idea. But I did um, get him some for his birthday years ago or I don't know. Maybe it was Christmas. But like did like a whole thing of all his cards like in a painting that he can hang on the wall. And turns out I didn't know this, but I left out like five cards. Which is surprising. I didn't know my dad had that many cards, and I'm still discovering more cards. So how did you assemble all of these? Like, did you just go, like, online, eBay, and, and, and different baseball card stores to try yeah. to find them all? Well, what's really cool is all the fans out there, a lot of times, when I'm signing autographs, um, they'll be like, hey, I got some cards of your dad. And I was like, okay, cool. I was like, you, you know, just send them to him. He'll sign them or whatever. They're like, no, I just want you to have them. I don't know where that started, but so people have been giving me my dad's cards and giving me some of my cards. Well, some of my cards. I got one big card. <laughs> but, you know, that's really cool. That's a, you know, a lot of people don't like want to sign autographs and stuff. But I learned from my dad that 
it takes a small army to put a game on. It, and it's, it's from the fans to people that want autographs. It's the guys in the press box. It's the umpires, grounds crew. Um, top to bottom, it's, it's, a, it's a big, massive thing. If I would say anything, that's probably the biggest thing I got from my dad was how to conduct yourself in this game. So when your dad is a coach and a manager in the minor leagues, describe it's sometime in February and he's leaving for spring training and how much you see him and where you see him over the next, say, seven months. When I was a kid? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, me and my brothers were homeschooled. My mom homeschooled us. Um, man, I guess. That's why you didn't have any friends. And 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't have anyone sitting next to you in third grade. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, yeah, my brothers, would, they, you know, they went to middle school when I was still in uh, elementary school being homeschooled. So I'd be by myself, me and my mom. My mom would, you know, do stuff around the house, and I'd shoot these hours-long videos. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so because we were homeschooled, the reason for that is so that we could spend time. We would go with him um, in spring training, spend a lot of spring training years in uh, Kissimmee, Florida, with he, when he was with the Astros. Um, yeah, I remember we'd stay at this motel for <laughs> like a month, and uh, one of them had kung fu. Remember kung fu, yep. the arcade game? So I wasted a lot of quarters on kung fu. One year. That's not a waste. That's not a waste. That's <laughs> not a waste of money, my friend. <laughs> I never beat it. And then there was another one, POW, where these guys break out a POW camp. That was a good one. That was two player. Um, that was at another place we stayed at in Kissimmee <laughs> years ago. Uh, but that was my life. That's all we ever knew. And then the summer would kick up, he would get sent to somewhere like. Auburn, New York, or somewhere in Iowa, or Indiana, and uh, we would, here's us showing up. Um, during the year, I'd be shining shoes or picking up trash at the stadium. I would, you know, be a bat boy sometimes and try to, you know, just mess up as much of the player's rhythm as I could. <laughs> right. Like, I was a menace. Uh, but it was fun. That's, that's, that was life. That's all we ever knew. What did players back then do to kill their, they weren't bored, their idle time, what would they do, and how much of whatever they did did that have an impact on what you do now? Yeah, I remember years ago there was a, a phone, and guys would be lined up at the payphone. <laughs> sounds ridiculous <laughs> to say now. They'd be lined up at the payphone because after BP would be over, they got a couple hours for the game, and they just wanted to check in on you know whether they were married or wanted to check in on their parents or whatever, and they would do that. They would spend time on the phone, a couple minutes, and they'd hang up. Next person go in, put their quarters in. Um, yeah, they... Basically, just get fed because uh, the the clubby the the stuff in the clubhouse, the food and and what's provided by the clubbies and stuff has changed dr dramatically over the years. And Even just during your career, it's just in my career, yeah. So like, there'd be just peanut butter and jelly and maybe a loaf of bread for roughly thirty people, and uh, there wouldn't be Gatorade or anything like that. So I actually made a living. I would go to my dad would take me to like Sam's or something. And I'd buy this big package of, the, remember the glass Gatorades? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and what I would do is I'd get them cold and I'd stick them and I'd, I oversold them. You know, they were probably a, a quarter a piece. And I'm like, hey, you know, here's 75 cents, you know, or a dollar. And guys would pay it because that's what they had to do. And, but I would go get guys food and things like that. To me, it was a lot of card playing. I remember seeing everybody playing cards if there was a table, if they were able. Um, but I think a lot of times, too, they only had certain amount of equipment. I know this is kind of weird, but... Uh, you did like nowadays. There may be a guy in the clubhouse that has seven gloves. Uh, back then, that you had a glove, and so there would be a lot of tightening. Like guys were messing with their gloves, making sure it was game ready. Messing with their spikes, making sure they were game ready. Um, that seems kind of weird now because people can just pick through a dozen gloves they have. But back then, they had one glove and they took care of it. So, so things like that during the downtime. So your dad also coached and managed. So sort of the turning point for minor league baseball was when the movie Bull Durham came out, which was 1988. And, and that's when, in, in a lot of ways, it kind of saved minor league baseball. But the nowadays, minor league baseball is a million-dollar industry. Um, the major leagues is a billion. The minor leagues is a million-dollar industry. The, a lot of the ballparks are cathedrals. Shoot the one in El Paso. I think it cost $72 million to, to build it. What are some of your memories as a kid when your dad is coaching, managing in the 80s about what just the atmosphere was like in terms of promotions and fans in the stands and what they did between innings? Sure. I, I, I love the San Diego chicken. He's a staple. And I was offended in 2014 when a guy in the bullpen was like, who's the San Diego chicken? I almost fought him. Um, <laughs> but that's what I remember. I remember the mascots. Uh, I was one of his little chicks in 1988 in South Bend, Indiana. Um, I remember there was a guy called like the Redbird or something like that. He came to King County. If you remember King County, I think they're still there, King yeah. County Cougar, Cougars, and uh, did like a, a one-off with the second baseman, like had a glove and was trying to field the ball and throw to first like they're having a competition. 
And so the bird took off his glove, and then our second baseman, Kerry Bridges, took off his glove, and then he, you know, this was probably like 1993. And so they're having this competition. So the bird steals his glove, and he runs up in the stands on the concourse, and everyone's like, can't believe this is going on. And he throws the glove on top of the roof. And everyone's freaking out, and, you know, we're the road team. And so everybody's like, ah, look at, you know, the visiting team. And uh, I remember thinking, I can't believe the bird did that. I, I, hook, line, and sinker got me. I was probably 10 years old. And then he goes to the dugout, and their bat boy's bringing out other gloves for him to use, and he's shaking his head like he's all mad. And then I realized, I'm like, hey, that's his glove. You know, he had a black glove, and he threw a tan one on the roof. I was like, got me. So I don't know, man. That's the kind of stuff I remember is just little moments like that. My dad getting thrown out of a game. That was really cool. So, <laughs> Did that change the way that you might, um, I don't know, worry about getting disciplined when you see your dad get that mad at a game? Well, you just – just disappear <laughs> you just try to run away and oh, I disappear uh I don't know yeah it's it's kind of weird I, but I, I don't know we used to have a VHS tape of that when he got thrown out he did a really cool thing I think he was in the right this was the neighborhood play back in the day and so I guess the second baseman turned into a play he was off second through to first probably the guy was safe at first and they called everybody out and so the other team's manager came out and argued and so a few innings later the guy's literally on the bag catches the ball for the out, throws to first. That guy's literally out. Both of them should have been out. Umpires call them both safe. You know, kind of that makeup call. So my dad, he had a good argument. He's like, you don't make no makeup calls. Like, get it right. So they tossed him, <laughs> which they probably should have. But, you know, knowing my dad and, and just his demeanor and his name in the game and how calm he is and, you know, just growing up, he's, he's amazing. And so seeing him actually get upset, <laughs> like, it's so uncharacteristic. So, yeah, we went and hid, me and my brothers. <laughs> All right, we are 30 minutes into this. I, oh, I no. swear that I was going to talk to you about pitching. Oh, yeah. So let's actually talk I, about some, pitching. Yeah, I do. I pitch sometimes. <laughs> but you originally wanted to be a catcher, right? And explain um, how and why you ended up being a pitcher. All it, My dad told me when I was about five, the fastest way, hey, fastest way to uh, the big leagues is a switch hitting catcher. And that's all I ever want to do is play in the big leagues. So I was like, okay, I want to be a catcher. C just so happens my middle brother wanted to be a pitcher. So I was like, there you go. You got someone to throw to. And so um, learned to catch him. He was always – if you think of the Little League World Series, my middle brother was just the kid that was better than everybody else. Like the big kid, you're like, let's check his birth certificate to make sure. Um, he was just better than everybody else all growing up. And so he made me better because I had to keep up with him. It would be like taking an A-ball catcher and saying, hey, you're going to catch – Max Scherzer, you know, kind of that comparison of this, how far along this guy is and how, um, you know, just baby steps for this guy. So I actually became a pretty good catcher. And that's what I was drafted in 2001. It was as a catcher. And I could hit a little bit too, you know, <laughs> and uh, got drafted again the next year after my first year of junior college as a catcher, because that's really all I did. I pitched a little bit in high school, a little bit in like American Legion baseball during the summer. Um, but I was a catcher. Anybody in the area, that was very strange in our small town and our area in Mississippi. Uh, people were like, you're a pitcher? Like, <laughs> all we ever knew you was was a catcher. You know, that's all we know. And um, what's interesting is that the first time I even saw a scout, it was a brewer scout. This was in high school. I was probably 17, 2001 maybe. I think it was my senior year. And I just played. We were on the road. Just played the best game I ever played. Uh, hit two home runs, had a double, blocked three balls in the dirt, and threw three people out, threw another guy out just stealing second, and uh, came in the last inning of the game and struck out the side. So basically the best high school game you could probably ever have. And uh, they asked me to hit after the game. And so I moved to the back of the backstop, and my dad was there. My dad was like, well, I'll throw to him. How about that? They had wooden bats in their trunk of like a Buick LeSabre. There was also a Royal Scout there that showed up. So I just picked up a C-271, like 33 and uh, walked out there, and they were like, <laughs> are you sure you don't need batting gloves or pine? I'm like, no, no, let's just do this. You know, the, We're on the way team, so or on a, a way field, so the coach for the other team left the lights on for the high school field. They're like, yeah, he stayed out there and watched. And I don't even remember the name of the school, but I was just crushing balls because I'm hitting off my dad, who I've been hitting off of my entire life. And I remember thinking, yeah, I can, I can play. I can play pro ball. I'm ready. Mm -hmm. you know. But I actually ended up, at that moment, hurt myself. I hurt my left shoulder. And so what played out over the next couple of years was I couldn't get my left shoulder uh, back the way it was. I had torn a labrum. Of course, I'm right-handed, so my left shoulder was just my swinging arm. I used to swing big. <laughs> and uh, anyway, that pretty much led to when the Brewers were ready to sign me in 2003 uh, during the summer, after right before the draft, they had the rights to me with the draft and follow. They said, listen, we, we like you better as a pitcher. And um, 
that, that I didn't agree with it at the time. I was like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And the Brewers were like, listen, we think you have a long career as a pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> so 16 years later, I guess they're right, you know. But I, I honestly thought, it, you know, if I hadn't hurt myself, I would have signed in 2001, and I'd probably still be catching. Wow. Well, you became a pitcher, and you made your major league debut on May 23rd, 2008 at Nationals Park in D.C. You retire Ryan Zimmerman, Aaron Boone, and Lastine's Millage. Three up, three down, and five straight outings without giving up a run to start your career. What is your mindset about Tim Dillard's future in baseball right now? Oof, man, uh, I still think I can. You're talking about right now? Yeah. Like, no, no, no. I mean at that moment. Oh, at that moment? After oh. five straight outings. Without giving up a run to start your major league Oh, career. I'll be in the big leagues forever. <laughs> I'm going to die in the big leagues. I'm going to have 40 years in the big leagues or whatever. No, I I just wanted to be a part of the team. That was a 2008 wildcard Brewers team, and it was a really good team. So basically every day I came to the field, I was like, you know, don't bother anybody. and Don't screw anything up. And I still think that way. <laughs> I, I come into a minor league game, I'm like, please, I don't want to be the guy that screws this up. You know, and, and not in a, like a scared way, but in a – it, 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 preparation, you know, and, and at that year was a very formidable year for me because I'm looking around at big leaguers um, and seeing how they prepare, how do they go about their business at this level, at this decade in time. Uh, we had CC Sabathia. Just saw something on MLB Network about CC in 2008, what he did when the Brewers brought him over from Cleveland. And I mean, I, I remember him walking in the clubhouse every day, and it never got old. CC Sabathia walked in. I was like, hey, CC Sabathia, what's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think I call him just CC or hey man. It's yeah. always like hey uh, CC Sabathia man. You want <laughs> you want some of this snack food over here, whatever. Um, but it's it's that it was eye opening. It was be quiet, stay close to your locker, and be a rookie. That's what you're supposed to be. Jason Kendall, who's now a special assistant for the Royals, I saw him at the Brewers fantasy camp celebrating the 2008 Wild Card Brewers team, and he was like. He goes, Dilly, remember when I yelled at you and <laughs> in Colorado? I was like, yeah, we were playing the Rockies and. He got there early. You couldn't beat this guy to the field. Pretty sure he slept on the couch. I don't know. I can't prove it. Uh, but I thought I was getting there early. You're, get, you're supposed to get there early. Don't be the last guy if you're a rookie. I learned that. So I'm coming in, coming in early, and there's nobody else in the clubhouse except for him. And he says, hey, to me, and I kind of just nod and wave. And he goes, Dillard, I'm sick of this. He's like, all you do is nod and wave, and you're quiet. You wouldn't think that, you know, just me. Right, yes. <laughs> yes. The, the what short, is this out-of-body yeah, experience you were doing? Yeah, the short time we've known each other. Yeah, I just stayed quiet. You know, like I said, I wouldn't bother anybody. And uh, he goes, from now on, when you go into a clubhouse, you say hi to everybody. I said, okay. And so from that point on, every time I'm in a club, I see, I say hey to everybody. Ask them how they're doing. And that's just part of the game. It's just, But even at a rookie level, come in. Used to, you stay in your locker and you don't say a word, but you still have to come out and, and say hey to everybody. It's just like that's the way things are supposed to be done, and that's the way it still is. Not that I would know. I hear from <laughs> guys in the Okay, business. so that actually reminds me of one of my other favorite videos that you did, and this is just one of those dub smash things, I think, where it's uh, the U2 song, It's a Beautiful Day, and you go inside the clubhouse, and yeah. everyone's there, and they're just high-fiving you, and you're just running through, and it's like 10 yeah. seconds, but it's like, hey, it's a beautiful day. I'm in a clubhouse, and look, these are my teammates. Yeah, yeah. well, it puts things in perspective. I, that was a funny one because a lot of the guys, that was probably – the third week of spring training, and that's when guys are just like, I'm over it. Yes. Like, cut me, <laughs> so over cut me or put me on a team. Let's get out of here. Uh, and so that was what was kind of funny about it. Guys were just sitting around, and I was like, come on, guys. It's a beautiful day. I was like, let's do this. And I'm surprised how many people jumped on board with that one. <laughs> but, yeah, it was a very simple. It was 10 seconds of just not nothingness. But, yeah, it was fun. Okay, so – Again, this is your uh, rookie season, Ooh. five straight appearances without giving up a run, and then three appearances in a row when you do give up runs, and you're sent back to AAA Nashville, oh. and you don't return until September. At that moment in your career, what is sort of like the reality of how it's hard enough to reach the majors, but how hard it is to stay there and just how difficult the major leagues are? I think I always knew it'd be hard to stay there, but didn't know about some of the stuff that needed to be done. Like... I was getting flip-flopped, I believe, at the time for a couple of lefties. So even though I was still – I was over the top at this time throwing. Um, but it would it would matter on who we played. So if we're playing a team that has a lot of lefties, like maybe the Twins, uh, they would send me down and bring up a lefty. Or, you know, there was very – you know, a strategic way to how things – I don't think I was really struggling too bad. They were like, oh, I was just the guy that had the options they could get rid of back and forth. And, uh, and, and that's the way it is. That's the way it is now, especially this year with the Brewers. But – um, I still thought, well, okay, well, at the, when all this shakes out, I'm going to be in the big leagues. And even after finishing in uh, Milwaukee in September that year, or finishing out the season, 
uh, I thought, yeah, I'm going to come back in spring training and just be one of those guys, you know. And uh, then there was another story that happened for 2009. But you just you have this idea of how things are supposed to go in baseball, and for good or bad, it's just you, you can't control any of it. It's all you can do is what you're going to do when you come to the field. What was the story in 2009? 2009, I thought I was going to have a chance at making the bullpen. You know, I'm a righty that throws 95 and have a 90-mile-an-hour slider. I thought, hey, that plays. Uh, first guy sent down in camp, and they said, we need starters. So I go to Nashville in 2009, and I'm one of the better starters. They call me up, and they think, hey, we, you know, we had uh, Dave Bush got hurt and Jeff Supon got hurt. So they were like, hey, you're going to start one of these games coming up. I was like, great. But instead of doing that, they got a guy out of the pen to start, and they put me in the bullpen to piggyback. So I was like, all right. I did okay, not great. And uh, then had a day off, went to San Diego, and then I was pitching in a one-run game in the sixth. So I was like, so I went from starting all year, you know, every five days, to throwing, you know, like 80 pitches or 70 pitches, I think, and then a day off, and now I'm pitching in a one-run game in the sixth in San Diego. And I'm just like, I'm not prepared. You know, I've – I've always been prepared in baseball, and that was the one time I was like, and I didn't do that bad, but some unfortunate things happened. I, I walked uh, David Eckstein, who's like four foot eight, <laughs> so like, I didn't feel too bad about that. I'm like, a guy walks a ton, but um, just had like a, a chopper off the plate, had a timely hit up the middle, you know, past Ricky Weeks at second base. So I just, then I'm like, man, I'm just cursed or something, you know, like what's going on? Maybe I'm not prepared like I should, but they sent me down to start. So I was like, man, now I'm, I'm rolling again. I'm back on, and I was doing well. And then my last start in 2009, right at the end of the season, we were in Round Rock, Texas, and Reggie Abercrombie, if you remember Reggie mm-hmm. Abercrombie. Played he, for the Isotopes? Yep. He had two hits off of me, and then the third at bat, this was only the fourth inning. I'd given up two runs, a lot of hits. I was trying to keep us in the game. And uh, threw, hung a slider, and he hit a missile off my hand and broke my hand. But we didn't know it was broken, even though it had like, you know, it looked like I had two hands growing out of one arm. But... Uh, so yeah, I stayed in the game and I ended up pitching like another four innings on it and, uh, I, I didn't give up any runs. I actually pitched better on a broken hand than I did beforehand. So kind of strange, but found out, uh, uh, let's see, August 31st that I had a broken throwing hand, uh, with September 1st the next day. So I, you know, I'm trying to play catch up on this whole, what, wait, a year ago, I'm in the big leagues throwing 95, you know, out of the bullpen, and now I'm throwing 92 because starters usually don't throw as hard. But I'm throwing 92 as a starter. Now i got a broken hand. I don't get called up. I was like, what is going on? So <laughs> I uh, get taken off the roster. Nobody claims me. They invite me back to spring training. 2010, first day I get there, they say, we want you to throw sidearm. So I became a sidearm pitcher. Just like that? Just like that. Did you resist for at least a minute, an hour, a day, a week? I was like, so you're going to give me a chance, right? You're not going to fire me. (laughs) Okay. You're going to give me a week or so to figure this out. And uh, so, yeah, they were like, yeah, we we plan on just, we think that could be your big, strong kid. You have a great arm. You don't really have a complimentary secondary pitch. And you need that to be a legitimate starter in the big leagues or a bullpen guy. And that's why this is, we think you can do this. I didn't know what to expect. And I got hit around a ton in spring training, worst spring training ever. Um, I, they were like, we don't want you to throw hard. We just want you to flip the ball in there and kind of go for angle. You know, I was so I'm just trying to flip these 70 mile an hour little dinkers up there, and guys are hitting them <laughs> off the moon. So one day I got mad. I just reared back and threw, and it was like 86 or 87. Came in the dugout, and they were like, "Wow, that was hard." They're like, "Can you throw hard from there?" And I was like, "Yeah, but you guys said it didn't matter." And they were like, "Throw hard." I said, "Okay." Next thing I know, I'm 2010. I spent the entire year in Nashville, uh, in AAA, and, and I was throwing like you know, 88 to 92, which is about what I am now on a pretty typical day. And, uh, I don't know. I, I set the record for the PCL, uh, most hit batters in a season. So that was a big deal. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the year, I, uh, we were in Reno and we, uh, Brandon Kinsler, who's with, I don't know who he's with this year, but he was coming off the disabled list and they need to make a move. And it was going to be between me and another guy. And I was like, this is it. My baseball career is over, you know? And I was like, Man, 2008, uh, you know, I was doing good in the big leagues. 2009, you know, I was starting. I get a broken hand. Now I'm throwing sidearm. I was like, this is how it ends for me in 2010. I was like, oh, man. I was So I came to the field at Reno that day knowing there's going to be a move. And they called me in the office. And, man, I'm sitting there like this. I can't believe this. And they go, listen, you're not getting released. I was like, okay, I agree with you. I, I agree. Continue. They're like, we want you to start. We need a starter. I was like, you want me to throw sidearm as a starter? And they're like, yeah, yeah. We think you can do it. And I was like, sure. So the last month of the year of 2010, I was a starter, which allowed me a little more time to f- develop my pitches. When you're in the bullpen, you don't have a lot of time. If you're learning something new, you, 
oh, you throw to two batters here, you throw to three batters there, you know, five days apart, it's hard to work on your craft. So I had a chance to work on my craft as a side armor because I'm throwing, you know, multiple innings. And turns out I'm throwing like seven or eight innings every time out, <laughs> and, and which is very strange. And so I got to work on my curveball. So at the end of the year, they contacted me. Brewers like, listen, man, you finished strong. We like what we saw. We, we, think, we think we're on to something here. Like, we're going to sign you back, bring you to big league camp 2011. And I was – I mean, if I'm a free agent, I'm looking for a big league opportunity. So I was like, sure. And that's when Ron Renneke took over in 2011. And he walked around during spring training. I was shagging in the outfield. And he goes, listen, man, you, I pitched the other – you know, the day before – he goes, I like the way you throw. I like the way you throw. You, he's like, you polish your craft. He's like, and, and you're, you're going to make it up this year. Surely, sure enough, like a month into the season, got called up again as a side armor, which is probably a bigger deal because, <laughs> you know, when I, when I was young and throwing hard and on the roster, getting called up was like, oh, yeah, it's about time I got called mm-hmm. up. And then years later when I thought, man, I'm going to get released, I'm a free agent, now I'm throwing sidearm, what's going on? And I get called back up to the same team. It was pretty special. Which was more nervous, the first appearance of your career in the major leagues or the first appearance when you returned from a, the lower angle? Uh, pro- definitely the first okay. ever. Uh, I had one goal, just look like I've done it before. I was like, And then when I, I opened the bullpen in um, 2008 when I was in the uh, – what's the – I don't know what the name of the stadium is, Memorial Park? Or Where something? is that? Yeah, in uh, D.C.? Uh, Nationals Park. Nationals Park. So, yeah, they opened the door and the bullpen's in left center. And so I was like – don't trip. Right. <laughs> so I was like, right, left, right, left. And then got to the mound. I probably was like snake route because I was looking at the ground. <laughs> but I eventually made it out there. But, yeah, I was pretty nervous. I just wanted to make it look like I had done it before. I read a some article where a coach said that throwing sidearm was a better fit for your personality. Yeah. Yeah, Stan Kyles was our uh, pitching coach in AAA. And, uh, and then he became the bullpen coach for the Brewers. And I was kind of on the fence about sidearm. I'd thrown a few bullpens, and I just – you know, I didn't, I didn't know where I fit into the whole thing. And, and they were going to give me some time. They were like, hey, if you don't want to do it, then you can still try to throw overhand or whatever you're doing. And I was like, okay. And so I was thinking about it. I was praying about it, talking to my wife about it. Came to the field. I, didn't ha- I, had, I had an uneasy piece about it. And Stan walked up to me and goes, he's like, Dilly, you're weird. He had had me for like two or three years. You know? He's like, Dilly, you're weird, man. He's like, sidearm fits your personality. He's like, I, I mean, when they brought it up in a meeting, I, he was like, I was the first one to go, yes, that's exactly what you should be doing. And uh, so he was a very, he was, he was a man in the corner for me. And Stan Kyles, man, I think he's with the Pirates now, maybe. I don't know where he's at. <laughs> I hadn't talked to him in a while. But, man, that was, I, I, you need that. You need someone to come up and go and just, get, like, verify, like, yes, this is, there's been planning of this. They, they didn't just make it up out of the air. There's people on board with this. And so they were putting some trust into me. And hopefully I've returned that over the last Nine years. Well, I think so. You don't keep getting hired year after year, whether it's a one-year contract or whether it's a one-month contract. Um, I do want to talk about December 2015. The winter meetings are in Nashville that year, and you showed up looking for a job. You were like thousands of other college graduates who show up in their best khakis and their best white shirt and the best tie that they can find with their resume in hand trying to get a job in minor league baseball, but you show up with business cards looking to get a job as a baseball player. How much of that was legitimately I'm trying to find a job and how much of that was these are the things I do yeah so you know hard to find that that was 2015 you know I I couldn't find a job couldn't find a job called everybody called the brewers they were like no man we're full we got tons of pitching we don't we don't need you this year sorry called every other team nothing was going on talked to my dad and dad goes you know back in the day that's what you did to get a job You'd show up at the winter meetings, usually on the coaching side of it or maybe like a scouting side. And he tried it in 2009, December 2009, after the Cardinals released him. And he said there were four people there, him and three other people. And he said it's kind of a dying art. He's like, it's hard to do, but I think you should try it. And so I did. I stood at what I thought was the most strategic location at this resort place in in Nashville. And uh, that... Was that my phone? And that was probably yeah, mine. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they. I stood where like everybody was coming from eating, and where there was like the hotel rooms, and then there was like where all the meetings and stuff were going on. So uh, there was a lot of foot traffic. Saw, man, saw Ned Yost, <laughs> who just came off a World Series win. I saw 
whoever the manager for the Mets was at that time. Terry Collins. Terry Collins saw him. Saw Luis Gonzalez, who was there. You know, I met him years ago. My dad was with the Astros. It was just a who's who of everybody. And so pretty much anybody wearing a logo shirt, I was like, hey, who are you with the Red Sox? You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, all right. So I had this business card. said Tim Dillard, RHP, uh, and it had my phone number on it. And I just passed it out and stood there at the same spot with my Starbucks cup. Starbucks shout out. And, uh, and, and I would direct people where the restrooms were and where the Starbucks was. And, uh, and I'd pass out my card to people. And, um, I don't know, it, I was stood there for three hours a day or no, three, three days in a row, seven hours, which was 21 hours. And, you know, I'd see the same people coming by. Saw Gabe Kapler there. Uh, he had just signed, I think with the Dodgers to be something, and I don't know. Just tried to make contacts. Like, hey, I'm still a, I'm, st- I'm still young. You know, I've never been injured. I can pitch. I can get people out. Give me a chance. And um, sure enough, the last day I was there, the Brewers were like, "Listen, we've had some stuff in the works. We may sign you back." I was like, "Beautiful. <laughs> Here we go again." <laughs> but I will say this: uh, out of all the things I've done in baseball, out of all the th- experiences I've had, that may have been the hardest thing for me to do is when you just stand there and you have to ask people for a job. Um, I'm proud I did it because, you know, when you reach some kind of level like that, pretty much anything else that comes up is is not as difficult to get through. So I'm glad I did it. Uh, well, I'm glad you did, too, because I love that answer, and I'm glad that I was able to ask you about it. But also, look, baseball players, athletes in general, but, you know, don't like feeling looking vulnerable. And for so often, it's, well, that's why I have an agent. The agent's going to do that dirty work, and I'm just going to sit back. But in order to actually show up, and actually, I mean, that's look, that's the way the rest of the world does it. That's the way the non-athletes do it sometimes. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I actually have an agent, but I'm a tough sale. Right. You know, like, I don't have, I don't know, a tough resume. You know, just how do you put it in perspective? And if you look at some of the numbers that most everyone looks at, it's not going to be that great. But if you start looking at certain things that are particular to a bullpen pitcher or to a right-handed sidearm pitcher, I had good numbers. So I just had to get people to see it. And every, every year I've been a free agent since, I find a, a new way to, <laughs> to, to get my name out there. I have a couple of other random things that I've uh, learned about you on the, on Google search engines that I want to ask you about. Yeah, right. Uh, this is from your own blog, so it better be true. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. 2011, you're playing the Albuquerque Isotopes, and as you and your roommate are leaving the team hotel, you were yes. grabbed by police. They pulled you away from the lobby, and they told you that there was a man waving a gun on the third floor. <laughs> Please explain this story about the uh, airport Sheridan in Albuquerque, New Mexico. No, that was before the Sheridans. Before we stayed there, uh, we stayed at the MCM Elegante. Oh, oh that's right. Okay. Yeah, the street there was a subway and a village inn and the churro place that was next to the subway that was really good um yeah so we were going to go see one of the transformers movies i don't recommend going see the transformer transformer movies or pay money but i mean it's giant robots fighting so you got to go watch it yeah me and uh donovan hand who was with las vegas last year pitcher and uh anyway we walk out of this hotel and i mean i'd stay there i don't know several times two times or eight days a year for the last like six years so yeah, it was no big deal. Walk out, and then all of a sudden, see a police officer running around with yellow tape, taping up the area. And uh, this female cop was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. What am I supposed to be doing? And they were like, there's a guy on the third floor waving a gun. They are like, get down. I was like, ah! So we run off, and now we're standing on the corner uh, waiting for our taxi. This is before Uber. And uh, <laughs> this guy pulls up in, like, an unmarked Explorer, and he gets out. And he's a bad-looking dude, man. He's got muscles and... You know, he puts on like these Oakley shades and he's like kind of looking at us like we're waiting for our little taxi to go see a movie. And this guy's putting like a machete in his cargo pants and like zip ties. And he's got like this bulletproof vest and gu- I'm like, he's like a tactical hero. I don't, I don't know. But I was just like, dude, I'm glad that people like you exist. <laughs> I was like, but anyway, I don't even know what ended up happening. I think everything was fine. It was probably, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know really what happened, but yeah, true story. All right. <laughs> I'm glad that everything, for the most <laughs> yeah. part, worked out. Yeah. Um, 2016, you were called up to the major leagues by the Brewers. Not to pitch. Not to pitch. But to be the social media call-up. <laughs> Please explain. Yeah. I was driving home from the season here. The season was over, driving home. And uh, I, got a, I got a message from uh, some of the uh, media people in Milwaukee. And they were like, hey, we have an idea for a video for you to do. And uh, because they're not allowed to do certain stuff on their, they they can, they have problems with copyrights, 
you know, if they were to do it from their Twitter, but they like to retweet stuff that I do. So they were like, hey, we, we have an idea for a video. And I was like, we're done. Like, I don't have a cast and crew anymore. Right. <laughs> like, I'm gone, you know? And they were like, I was like, unless you want to call me up to, to do stuff like this. And I'm thinking, any way to get to Milwaukee, right? Any way to get to the big leagues. And so they were like, oh, well, that's a good idea. We'll, we'll figure it out. So, okay. So a few days later go by, like, hey, we want to call you up for this week. It's going to be a homestand. We're playing, like, the Pirates or whoever, and we want you to do stuff. And so they're like, start coming up with ideas. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I was like, uh, I want to go down the slide, Bernie slide. And they're like, done. Go for it. Okay. All right. I want to run around the stadium. Perfect. You should run around the stadium. I'm like, great. So everything I came up with, they were like, sure, sure, sure. I was like, Did I Did they say no to anything? Said no to nothing, which is very surprising because I did some weird stuff. <laughs> I was like, I want to run in the sausage race. I want to be chorizo because my son's favorite sausage is uh, chorizo. So uh, they were like, yes, of course you can do that. I don't know. I just, I did everything from going down the slide to climbing the rock wall in the third deck to, yeah, I don't know what else I did. I caught a ball from Ryan Braun during the game. I was up in one of the fan sections and he didn't even know it. And I was like, hey, Braun, throw me a ball. And he throws it up there and I caught it. Told him later. I told him after the game. I'm like, dude, you threw the ball at me. He's like, no, I didn't. I was like, that was me, man. I was sitting up there doing whatever I was doing. It was pretty amazing. Like, I, I, you know, it gives you an appreciation for what goes on at a baseball park. You know, as a player, you just you're very limited on where you go. You just walk in. You go to the clubhouse. You go to the field. You go to the clubhouse. Um, to see behind the scenes, I got to be in the press box. There's like a restaurant up there, and I got to meet uh, Miss Lorraine, who's been there with the Brewers for however long, that makes all the food for all the press. That was really cool. She made it into a video. David Stearns, you know, the new GM at the time, I uh, was shooting a Saturday Night Live video. That might be my favorite video because I got Bob Euchre in it. That, that's got to be my favorite one. Okay. And uh, towards the end of it, I have uh, um, I'm doing the voice of the guy from Saturday Night Live, like, you know, Will Ferrell. You uh-huh. know? So, I, yeah. so I got uh, David Stearns was dressed in a suit. He's about to go do Fox Sports Wisconsin during the game. And I stopped him because I was running around shooting a video. I was like, and I don't even know him that well. I maybe met him once. <laughs> and I was like, uh, uh, hey, David, I was like, you mind if I get you to do a video? And he's like, uh, yeah, I got to do Who are you? <laughs> I got, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's part of it. He was like, well, I got to do a booth thing. But yeah, sure. Like, what do you want me to do? And I just was like, here. I was like, here's some napkins. I want you to act like you're wiping down this table when I tell you to look up and give me a thumbs up. And this is the GM of the team. He's like, okay. And so here he is in this suit, you know, and he's wiping down the table and he looks up and gives me a thumbs up. And uh, I put it in the video and I was like, David Stern. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, that was, I don't know, that might have been the best one. But they gave me full access to do whatever and I had a blast. I don't know if they had a good time, but I had a good time. Well, since you started to do some impersonations, I was wondering if it's possible for Tim Kirkchen to join this podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, I talk to I talk to people all the time about stats and things like that. <laughs> it's really fun. What would Tim Kirkchen tell us researching about the career of Tim Dillard? I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I started doing the Kirkchen thing uh, in two I don't know years ago. And I got ratted out by somebody. And in the, in the big leagues, I think we were in the playoffs, 2011. And so he walks in the clubhouse. First time I'd ever seen him. So I was like, oh, man, I'm so nervous, you know. And I kind of just keep my head down. But he, there's no one else around. He V-lines right towards my locker. And he's like, hi, Tim. Uh, I'm Tim Kirchner. I was like, oh, hey, hi, how you doing? Nice to meet you. And he's like, nice to meet you, too. Uh, you know, I heard from a, a source that you <laughs> – like to uh, doing impersonations of me. Is that true? And I kind of just stone faced him, like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, man. And he, he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I, uh, I must have been uh, mistaken. And I was like, and I looked him in the eye. I was shaking his hand. I was like, don't worry about it. <laughs> so the, the cat was out of the bag on that one. And then uh, fast forward to 2012 big league camp. He was interviewing Niger Morgan. And uh, he was going around the the Florida spring training interviewing guys. And guys were making fun of him. And um, so I saw him in 2012. And he, he's like, you're the reason that people do this. You started this. <laughs> I'm like, great. If nothing else in my career, at least – I made it okay to make fun of Tim Kirchin. I love <laughs> Tim Kirchin as a journalist, as oh, yeah. a researcher. Um, I've played a lot of basketball against him. He's yeah. unbelievable. He has the crossover. <laughs> His range is like 33 feet. He never stops running. He's the most annoying guy to play against because he's the guy when you're wow. playing pickup basketball, he never stops running. 
I've heard that actually before. Somebody He's so good at basketball. Yeah, because yeah, I was like, I asked, who would you rather have on your I, – I tweeted a Twitter poll or something one time. Like, who would you rather – what what uh, sports analyst would you want on your basketball team or something like that? Because I had caught wind that – and sure enough, Kirchin was the answer. Because, yeah. uh, I, I, I mean, that must be a thing. A lot of people know that. I played him a lot in, um, in spring training. Nice. And, yeah, I mean, we had some incredible pickup games. We had uh, – I'll never forget, there's one time I'm playing pickup basketball, and David Forst, who's now the A's GM – Lee Smith, former closer, Cubs, Red Sox. Yeah. Tim Kirkjian and me were like on the same court, and I'm like, how is this possible? <laughs> how is it possible that I'm playing basketball with Tim Kirkjian and Lee Smith and David Forst at the same time right now? This is amazing. Come up with something more random than what you just said. You can't. <laughs> Tim Dillard was also on the court too. Yeah. I was the referee. <laughs> um, That's. Awesome. I know that he's no longer alive, but is it possible for Harry Carey to join this podcast? Hi, everybody. I got to tell you, I can't believe people don't mind Will Farrell going around making fun of this guy. <laughs> if Harry Carey to, were to describe the podcast Show and Go, which features Ooh. Tim Dillard and Ben Zilberst, how would Harry Carey describe the Show and Go podcast? Well, I got to tell you, these guys, they know baseball. And you know what else they know? They know food. And they know other things. So it's very informative. And you know how much I love food. I love baseball food. It's the two best things that have ever been combined. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Show and Go podcast, I got to tell you, these guys just, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to work equipment. They just stand around and, and just talk about nonsense. And people seem to listen. So we'll see where it goes. <laughs> no, we yeah the the podcast is legit. Um, we uh, it, it's me Zobrist, uh, one of our friends Ryan Smaltz, who's a head baseball coach at Trevecca Nazarene University, and it's also our buddy Joshua Costello, who is one of Ben's best friends uh, for years, and also his personal trainer. So uh, we have this well-rounded cast. I'm sorry I went serious after. Training. That's okay. <laughs> it's probably good yeah. that you went serious there to explain actually what really happens in it. Yeah. So we what. Our, our, our demographic is basically probably like, I don't know, 10 to 20. Just what to do to get to the next step and what baseball is and how to deal with it. Um, I don't know a lot of the stuff going on in, in the lower levels when it comes to like travel ball and things like that. But uh, Ryan and Joshua, both of those guys know exactly what's going on. So we have a very well-balanced roundtable with, you know, a World Series guy and a uh, major league position player. And then you got me, just a lifelong pitcher. Um, and, and, you know, they have their notes and topics and they, the things they want to share. And I, I'm just not structured that way. So I'm just kind of the, the comic relief. I have nothing, no <laughs> wisdom to share whatsoever. I just start talking. They bring up something. I'm like, oh, that reminds me, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, but it's good. It's fun. It's laid back. It's, I don't know, man. Like this is the conversations that, that go on like in the clubhouse and things like that. It's just, it's like I said, it's a little behind the scenes look of what baseball really is and what to expect. And if you're a young kid, Man, definitely check it out. And we're kind of revamping right now. It got serious really quick. Like, we were kind of goofing off, but then it got really serious. So we're about to start laying down, like, a lot of um, content and information over the next couple months. So it'll be fun. All right. I have a couple more topics before we wrap up because I've already taken up too much of your time. Uh, You know Cody Decker? I've heard of him. Yes. Okay. I know. We had him in spring training last year for, like, two months. So (laughs) you guys both create videos. I have an idea, Hmm. if you'll indulge. So if this ever comes to fruition, I need to get a shout-out somewhere. Sure. He's in Reno right now, right? Yes, he's okay. in Reno. Yeah, we're going there next. Okay, maybe you guys can discuss this during <laughs> batting practice. Because he was the first guest on my podcast, and you're the most recent guest on my Ooh, podcast. I feel like it anyway. Um, <laughs> so the idea is this. You are filming something at the ballpark, as you normally do. Sure. He is filming something at the ballpark, as he likes to do. Oh. And you guys keep getting in each other's way. You guys keep overlapping, whether it's sure. the same idea or it's the th- same thing, but from two different things, from two different uh, approaches, <laughs> and maybe, and then it gets spliced together where you see his camera and your camera, and then there's the third camera that is showcasing the whole thing. So it's like three different dimensions going on. <sighs> Production value on that, yeah, budgetary reasons. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. I haven't even talked to him before we come into town. Uh, <laughs> I may need to hit him up. That's a good idea. Like we were in spring training and, and we were, had all these ideas of stuff to do and, but he's on another level. Like he's really good. Like he makes full, like legitimate, <laughs> I'm, he's a director. Like, he really is a writer and director and like he puts his stuff together very well. Mine's more crude. You know, I just kind of throw it together in five minutes as opposed to a huge planning process. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, he's he's interesting. I like him. He's I like him a lot. He's good. What else should people know about Tim Dillard before we wrap this up that I did not cover that you think I should have asked you about? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I don't really find myself that interesting. Um, I don't know. I a lot of people ask me about the future. Yeah. And so everywhere I go, I always ask for a job. So if there's anybody out there listening who wants to hire me uh, for to do anything, I don't really care. <laughs> Uh, my wife says I can't work at Lowe's. Not that there's anything wrong with Lowe's, but she doesn't think that's <laughs> that's uh, conducive to my talents. Okay. So I don't really know what my talents are. But um, anyway, yeah, I'm I just always looking to see what's next. I've been looking for the next for the next job for like five or six years, but I keep playing baseball. And, um, and I always tell everybody this. If you have a jersey, you have a chance. And you may not may not think there's a chance you may be like well i'm stuck here or maybe no one notices me or you know what's going on baseball is the it, it's so i don't know it's so amazing the way it's constructed that you have these stories where there's a guy in the minor leagues for 10 years that makes it to the big leagues the first time you have the guy that's like a super uber prospect who never plays in the minor leagues and makes it to the big it, the, the spectrum is so wide and the stories are so unique if you play one day in pro ball or 20 years you have a unique experience, and it may not. It's not going to be the same as Cal Ripken's. You know, I wanted Cal. Ripken. I wanted to be Ryan. Sa- Years ago, I said, you know what? If I signed to play pro, uh, I would want to be someone like Ryan Sandberg or or Cal Ripken Jr. That's, or that stays in the same uh, organization because I I've always loved that. I like lo- love the loyalty part of it, and. Anyway, so I've kind of done that. You have. <laughs> you know, I've been with the Brewers for 16 seasons, but not in the big league capacity that I wanted. So everyone's story is unique, and you're going to meet a lot of people. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's a family. You're part of the baseball family. And I tell guys, it doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't mean you're not trying. People sometimes are like, well, I want them to know that, yes, I'm trying. I do my work every day. I'm trying to get everybody out. If you're up to the plate against me, I'm trying to get you out. I don't really care about your life at that moment. I don't care about what's going on, like – and Sweet, our manager, knows that. He's like, he says it all the time. He's like, Dilly, I put you on the mound. He's like, I had to stay out of your way. He's like, because you're a different person out there. It's like, great, because that's what all I'm called to do is go out there and get people out. Uh, but, but there's so much more to baseball than when you stand on the mound. And there's a lot of stuff to deal with. And I don't know. Everybody has a unique story. And um, someone said I should write a book. But I don't really read a lot. So I wouldn't expect anyone else to read it. So <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. But... I don't know. This, this. I'm gonna live every day as you know. This is the last time I get to put on a uniform. I'm gonna live the last, you know, every day like it's the last time I get to step in the clubhouse and be with my friends. So, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. The website is Dim Tillard, not <laughs> Tim Dillard. The website is Dim Tillard. If you want to buy one of his beanies, yeah. Or if you want to look at more videos, or if you want, there's a lot of other stuff on the website. Yeah, Dim it's, it's Tillard. A bunch, bunch of nonsense. One stop shop to just completely waste your time. I did it just to see if I could do it. Not because you were bored, Not because but bored. because you wanted to see if you could do it. Yeah. I, I, I actually did this because when uh, we were trying to do something for the Show and Go podcast, I was like, instead of hiring somebody to do a website, let me just see if I can do it. So I did this website, and I'm like, all right, I bet I can do that website. And we're kind of in between right now. I'm kind of shopping around and revamping it. And But I don't know. It's fun. Like I, you know, like I said, I, I, I didn't know I was going to be a pitcher for so long, but I knew how to catch, I, but I knew how to pitch. I can also play second base or outfield. Like I power shag in the outfield. You also want to know what's going on in the world when it comes to like, you know, computer stuff, like just being involved in every day. I got to figure out what's going on in the world now because I got kids going through school and I don't know, they change math. You know, like, you know, you're trying to play catch up on what's going on. So I'm trying to round out skills. So it's website, it's trying to sell a bunch of garbage. Um, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I find little things here and there fascinating, whether it's trying to act or make a film or possibly get into Hollywood or something like that, or do commercials or broadcasting. I'm just fascinated by everything that goes on. Um, I don't know. If it strikes my interest, I try to learn as much as I can about it. Don't ever change. Keep it up. This was really fun. <laughs> Thank you. appreciate it. That's Tim Dillard or DimTillard.com, and this is Life Around the Seams.